Just out of curiosity, how many people have been following the events that have been going on in Ferguson? Yeah? For most of us? So this morning, what I want to share with you is less about what I'm an expert on, because uh, I'm not on any of this, um, and more about what God's doing in here and what I'm learning along the way. And the first thing is that we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. Eugene Show uh, is a pastor in Seattle, Korean American, um, great pastor, um, great writer. I'm leaning on him pretty heavily this morning. He, he made this statement, and it's so true. He said, you know, silence in itself is a statement. Silence in itself, right, is a statement, is a statement. To not talk about it, not acknowledge what's, what's taking place currently, is to say, you know, it's really not that important. Right, it's really not that big of a deal. Now, if kids get gunned down in Newton, Connecticut, right, we plan to hear about that at church. We're going to talk about that. Right? But when an unarmed black kid gets gunned down by police, and it sparks nationwide demonstrations, and it is the national conversation going on right now, what does it say about us when we don't expect also to have a conversation about that? Right? And I'm afraid that you know, by, by refusing to talk about it, uh, that we're, we're communicating something, even if we're not communicating something. You know, Austin Channing, uh, he wrote this, and this just shook me up pretty good. But it's so true. He said, you know, on the whole, the story of Michael Brown and the assault on Ferguson, it didn't gather the same level of attention as what was going on in Iraq last week. Or even mega pastor, you know, mega church pastor Mark Driscoll getting kicked out of the church planning network he's a part of. Many of the white Christians who changed their profile pictures to stand in solidarity with Christians on the other side of the world were absolutely silent while black Christians right here in America were in turmoil. And then he says this, and this is a prophetic word, and this might strike you and, and make you a little bit angry, but I'm going to read it anyway. Definitely makes me uncomfortable, but I think it's true. He says, you know, I, I'm quite used to there not being enough room in the soul of the white church to care about black bodies. Strong words. And I wonder whether it's true or not, you need to know this is something that is felt. All right, this is coming from one of our black brothers in Christ. And this is what he feels. And I know he's not alone. Hop on Google and see. He's not alone. There's something there. And so, you know, to say nothing, to pray nothing, is to say, you know what, this is really not that big of a deal. Right? It's to communicate without communicating. Right? To say nothing, to pray nothing. Uh, to others, and especially to our, our black brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting right now. You know what? It's really not that big a deal. All right? Suck it up. Get over it. We're going to talk about money on Sunday. All right? And so we've got to talk about it. We can't ignore this. Especially since, you know what? It is, it is all about Jesus. And Jesus was about a few things. See, this is, secondly, this is, this is a justice issue. Jesus had this thing that he kept saying, this message he kept coming back to. And he said, you know, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Where God is taking creation, what God desires to do in this world, like he's not waiting anymore. Like through my, my death, through my resurrection, and now through my church, God is going to usher in a new kind of reality, a new kind of world. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are participants our invitation, our call is to be participants in God's kingdom and what he's doing in this world. And so the question we have to constantly be asking is, what around us, what in, this, in our city, what in our lives, our heart, what in this world is inconsistent with God's kingdom? It's inconsistent with what God is doing or desires to do here and now. Where is the change that needs to happen? And now how do I step into that? 
I can tell you this. The kingdom of God is a place where, to quote Amos 5, as Martin Luther King loved to quote, is a place where justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, right? And so whenever we see something that is unjust, right, we need to call it what it is. Inconsistent with what God desires for this world. Right? Inconsistent with what Jesus desires for his church. Right? Inconsistent with what God desires to be true of our hearts and of our lives. Right? What took place in Ferguson, it, it, it's so far it's so far from what God desires. It, it's, it's a loss of a, a human life. And the way that it's been handled um, is really, really sad. And, and you kind of zoom out, and as details have been rolling out, uh, as muddy and shady as those details are, and now they're revisiting them, um, there's been a bigger picture that we're starting to see about uh, this community in particular, and I think it's worth looking at. All right, this is a town, unlike Lincoln, by the way, that's 60% black, all right? 60% black. In this town, uh, the police chief and the mayor are white. Uh, just one city council member is black. Just one school board member is black. Of the 53 police officers in town... Three are black. In 2013 in Ferguson, 483 black people were arrested. 483, almost 500. You know how many white people were arrested? 36. If that is not a picture of injustice, I don't know what what is. Of the car stops by the police last year, 86% of those were black. Of the searches that took place, 92% of those were black. Even though a higher percentage of white people is white people that are more often caught with illegal items. Right? And I can almost hear the questions, right? It's like, okay, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska. Aaron, I get it. Right? It's sad. It's tragic. But that's like one messed up racist community. Right? It's one life. Why are we talking about this in another state and another place? I can tell you this, the reason that this has sparked so much attention nationally and the reason that there's protests, um, the reason that there have been riots is precisely because it is not just one racist community. And it wasn't just one life. In fact, there's a very long list, and I want to share just a few. I'll put the first picture up there. Amadou Diallo, 23-year-old immigrant from Guinea, was shot at 41 times by four police officers and killed. He was unarmed, simply reaching for his wallet. Sean Bell, shot at 50 times by a team of officers, severely wounding two of his friends and killing him on his wedding day. Oscar Grant, handcuffed with his hands behind his back for breaking up a fight on the subway. Oscar was shot in the back and killed by a police officer while sitting down. Wendell Allen, just 20 years old, Police busted into a house and shot him in the heart, killing him. He wasn't the guy that they were looking for. Luis Rodriguez. An unarmed father who was beaten and choked to death in front of his family for not showing his ID outside of a movie theater. And just last month, Eric Garner. Had just broken up a fight. Cops were called to the scene. He was choked to death while being arrested. And that particular video was put on YouTube for the world to see. It's tragic. Right? And I want, you to, I want you to hear something. I'm not anti-police. I am very much for police. I'm incredibly thankful for those who protect and serve us. And I would not want their job any day of the week. But can we just 
agree together that there's something wrong with this. Something that is incredibly unjust. If God really cares about justice and the image of God in every single person, can we at least agree that that is not what God intends for creation and for our lives and for this country? Right? See, I, I read about stories like this, and as a, a white male who's a part of the ethnic majority, I'm tempted to go to say, like, that still happens? Are you kidding me? Right? I thought we were past all that. Right? I thought after like the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln, like, didn't racism go away? Right? And so what I did last night is I just started asking friends who are not a part of the ethnic majority from different parts of the country, Boston, California, Tulsa, here in Lincoln, and just asked, what has your experience been like? And every single one of them said that their story has been marked by racism all the way through today. That it is a huge part of their story, a prejudice. Right, this is inconsistent with the kingdom of God. Right, it's not what he desires for creation. It's not where God is taking this world. Right, and so we've got, we've got to talk about it. You know, Martin Luther King had some, some good words, as you might imagine. And he said this, he says, you know, men often hate each other because they fear each other. And they fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they can't communicate, and they can't communicate because they're separated. And then he says this, he says, you know, re- religion, and he's talking about Christianity, deals with earth and heaven, right? Both time, right here, right now, and eternity. Religion operates not only on the vertical plane, but also on the horizontal plane. Right? Not only here, but here. It seeks not only to integrate men with God, but to integrate men with men, and each man with himself. Any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. And I don't know what that dry-as-dust religion is, but I can tell you one thing, it's not Christianity. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. It bears no resemblance to the Jesus who celebrated those who were pushed to the margins. Right? Who honored the despised and lifted up the oppressed. Right? Who humbled the proud and exalted the humble. Right? This is a justice issue. This is a kingdom of God issue. Right? But it's also a body of Christ issue. Right? For many of us who grew up as the ethnic majority, right? what we're watching on the news this week, like it's just news. And there's tragic stuff on the news every day, but it's a lot more than that to those who are not a part of the ethnic majority. A lot more than that. It hurts. It goes so much deeper. It's the reason, by the way, up until last night, I wasn't even planning on talking about this. Wasn't going to go there. We're just going to continue on with our thing until God messed me up about it. And Rusk will. I totally blame him. Right? But there's a reason that it triggers so much response and heartache by people who don't look like some of us. To quote Cho again, he says, you know, to others, especially in the African-American community, right, this is, this is entirely different than just news. In Michael Brown, they see an all-too-familiar story, all-too-common of a story, an ongoing common story that seems to have no end. Some may call it a nightmare. In Michael Brown, they see Trayvon Martin. Right? In, in, in Michael Brown, they see Eric Gardner and many, many others. Right, in Michael Brown, they see a son. Right, they see a husband. Right, they see a nephew. For some of them, they see themselves. 
right, and talking to friends, this is something that I, I just keep hearing. This is something that, that cuts deep, and it hits so close to home. You know, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading about these guys, and they're talking about some of the conversations that their parents had to have with them when they were young, when they were just children. Like, when you're in a store, don't put your hands in your pockets. Because right, somebody might assume that you're stealing something. And depending on where you are in the country, depending on the circumstances or the time of day, you just might get shot. Right, as a white male, like, I don't think I'll ever have to have that conversation with my son. Right, so I can't presume to understand what that's like. Right, but we have Christian brothers and sisters who are family that do. And it's a huge part of their story. Right, and so again, quoting Cho, and this is just a prophetic word, I think. Eugene Cho, he says this, he says, you know, for us as Christians, if our black brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting, right, if they're truly our brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we truly are the body of Christ as we profess, can't we just shut up, listen, and mourn with them? Can we possibly try to learn and hear and capture just a glimpse of why they're upset, concerned, anxious, worried, or even fearful? Right, doesn't the Bible command us to mourn with those who mourn? Right, this is, this is, guys, this is a body of Christ issue. Right, these are, these are our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our family. Right, and so for those of us who are in Christ, who call Jesus Lord and are part of this crazy thing called church, like this, this has to take on a new level of importance for us because they're family. They're family. Right, and part of that, number four, as, and as such, as followers of Jesus, as participants in this kingdom way that God is slowly ushering in, Right, we must take seriously our call to commit ourselves to the work of justice and reconciliation and peacemaking. Right, to partner with God in that kingdom work with our hands. Right, he, he invites us and calls us to be agents of reconciliation in a world that is, I hope you're seeing this, is in so much need of mending and healing and grace. Right, and so part of this for us, I think just part of it is returning and revisiting, all right, what kind of God are we dealing with here? All right, what, what kind of life and way are we invited into? Right, and so in the words of Second Corinthians 5, right, these are the kinds of words, we, they just have to become our rallying cry. We have to come back to them time and time again until this in here starts to change. This is what he says. All right, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all for those who live live should no longer live for themselves. No longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Right? The kingdom is at hand. We are changed and being changed. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is ours, given to us by God. The ministry of reconciliation. Right, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to who? He's committed to us, this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors to the world as though God were making his appeal through us. Right? And what he's saying, look, through Jesus, right, not only are we being reconciled to God, but through him, now we need to be reconciled to one another. 
Right, that we're not only just one with God now, like we are one as a family, as a capital C church. So what happens in St. Louis or what happens in the South or even what happens on the other side of the world that is unjust and racist, we've got to call it that's unjust and that's racist and hurt with them. Right, and enter in and refuse to be silent, even, even if we have no idea what that feels like and maybe we never will because we're family. Because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. When people look in on the way that we interact and the way that we talk and treat one another, they're to see a tiny glimpse of who God is. And the kind of world that he is recreating through his church. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. We are one. We must... May we never forget the words in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. It says this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Not anymore. Neither slave nor free. That's over. Nor is there male or female. Right? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right? We are all one. We are all one. All right? So this matters. All right? So I, I don't pretend to be like an expert on this subject. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. But I do just want to share a little bit of what I'm learning. Uh, and just four things. Four things. Number one, uh, for those of us who are in the ethnic majority, uh, we cannot assume to know what it's like to walk in their shoes. Right, last night I was, I was interacting with a, a good friend of mine uh, who's an Asian-American pastor of church that they started after this church. And it's like five times as big. Really, really sharp guy. And uh, here, here's what he wrote me verbatim. And I was asking him, I was like, what do we need to get? Like, what do we need to understand? What are we missing? Like, if, if I could fly you from California tonight and you could share with us what we need to get, this is what he said. He said, for those of us are, who are minorities, he said, our self-worth has been on the chopping blocks all of our lives due to prejudice. Something my Caucasian friends know very little about. But to acknowledge the incredible challenge of putting yourself in our shoes, that alone is healing to minority. Right? And so part of this is just acknowledging, not pretending like we understand. Right? Oh, well, we've all experienced prejudice in its many forms and blah, blah. No, no, it, this is different. If you haven't experienced prejudice because of how you look, you don't understand, I don't understand. Right? And part of the healing process from what I'm hearing from my friends and our family is just acknowledge that you don't get it. That you don't know what it feels like. Right? That alone is a step of healing and growth for us. Secondly, if that is the case, therefore, if that is the case, uh, we need to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. Which is precisely why I was so just hesitant to even share this. Because uh, I, I, I'm learning. Um, I, I don't understand Right? And, and, and we need to say this. Because right? sometimes in this stuff, we can jump to the political, especially like in red state Nebraska, you know, where people are like, I don't know what it is, but they're way more open and be like, this is what I think about everything. You know? Right? Republicans unite! You know? And it's just like, we can jump to all of these political issues really, really fast. Start talking about gun control and stand your ground laws and, and big government, small government, and all that stuff. But rather than jump there, we just need to sit and listen. And let 
those who don't look like us, teach us. Because we have a lot to learn. A lot to learn. And if you don't think so, all right, just invite one of your neighbors, one of your coworkers who don't look like you out and just ask. And I think you'll be surprised by what you hear. We assume too much. And so I'm learning that I need to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. Thirdly, in the words of Greg Boyd, as we move forward, we need to learn what it means to practice Calvary with one another. To practice Calvary as Jesus' church. Right? As we seek to be Christ's ambassadors in the world. His hands and feet. Agents of justice, peace, and reconciliation. Right? Calvary is where you know, Jesus died to himself so that others might find life. That's Calvary. Right? It's where he suffered for those who didn't understand That's where he loved those who hated him. Where he prayed for those who murdered him as they took his life. Right? It's at Calvary that we see what self-giving love actually looks like. And sometimes that can cost an awful lot. Right? But this is part of what it means to be his hands and feet. That sometimes picking up our cross and following him actually involves picking up others and their crosses so that they might find life. Right? It's standing in the gaps. It's noticing those who don't necessarily look like us. Right? In a world that's constantly trying to rank everybody, how many Twitter followers do you have? Let's compare. How many Facebook friends do you have? What's your job? How much do you make? What do you drive? What kind of house do you live in? Constantly. Right? We, need to be about a, we need to be the kind of people that are tearing those things down. None of those things are evil in and of themselves. I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. Right? But... That whole worldly idea, looking at people in a worldly way where there's a rank, file, and system, and there's the more important and the less important. There's the powerful, and those are without power. And just tear those things down and notice the people that the world says, you know what, they're not worth your time. You're not going to gain anything by giving them your time. They're not going to serve any of your needs. Those are the people that I see Jesus going to, and those are the very people that I see Jesus lifting up. That's, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Right? Where those who are first are last. And those who are last are first. And so for those of us who are in the ethnic majority, and we enjoy all of the benefits of being first a lot of times, I think there's some implications there for us. And then lastly, I'll say this. And band, you can come on up here. This has got to be something that we pray for, pray over, pray through. Pray, pray, pray pray, and repeat. Right? Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, you pray, may your kingdom come, Father. May your will be done, right, on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And so that has to become our prayer. Right? May your kingdom come, may your will be done in Lincoln as it is in heaven. Right? In Ferguson as it is in heaven. Right? In my heart as it is in heaven. Right? It's got to start right there. Right? And if we jump to what we can do without praying, what we're communicating with our actions is really we don't need God's help on this one. But I turn on the news and I, I think, man, we, we desperately need God's help. Right? I need God to change what's in here. Right? And I'm praying that he does that for all of us as we move forward as a community. You know, the, the scriptures say that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 
Um, so call me crazy, but I think maybe just maybe then, you know, a community of a few hundred praying together in the same direction, begging God to intervene and to change us and to work May his kingdom come, that maybe just maybe that's actually a really powerful thing. And maybe that's the first step. Right? And so as we get ready to come before God and worship and song together, before we do, I want to address what's going on in here as we pray together. And I want to walk us through together as a community a few specific things that we can all pray together around. So if you would, if you would stand, um, I want to finish by just come to God together as a community in prayer. To begin, uh, let's pray for Michael Brown's family. A family that this morning is mourning the loss of a son. up to you, Michael Brown's family, as they are sorting through a feeling of loss that I cannot imagine, as I'm sure many people are responding to them in many different ways, friends and family who are undoubtedly angry, some of them, wanting their own form of justice. And Lord God, we pray that in this time that you would surround them with people who love them well. Lord God, that you would surround them with people who would point them to you. That you would give them a peace in a situation where peace may just seem impossible. for Darren Wilson and his family. And Darren is the one that pulled the trigger and took Michael's life. family this morning as they are experiencing a different kind of loss. As their family is probably receiving a lot of threats, a lot of hate mail, a lot of anger. I can't imagine what it would be like to be the parents, siblings. And Lord, acknowledging that what took place in Ferguson is so unrepresentative of you and your kingdom and what you desire. We ask, Lord, that you would do the impossible in this situation. And that is to actually work out your own redemptive purposes through something that is so ugly. We pray for Darren. 
Lord God, I thank you that you are a God who prays for murderers even as they murder you. That no sin is too great to be beyond forgiveness, to be beyond your incredible grace. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would draw Darren and his family to yourself in this season. May they come to know the scandalous grace that you offer in Jesus. And Lord, we pray for the church in Ferguson. The communities of faith that are there uh, in the midst of so much that is going on, the riots, the demonstrations, the peaceful protests and the not so peaceful ones. We pray now as the news crews have moved out of Ferguson and now this next season of of pain and healing begins and we ask, Lord God, that you would just unleash your church on that town. People who will model what you are like, a God who is going to usher in fully in time peace and justice and reconciliation. Help them to love well to bandage wounds, to embrace those who are hurting right now. Lord God, lastly, we pray for our own hearts. Lord God, my prayer for every person in this room, every person listening to this, Lord God, is that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours that you would give us a fire in our belly for what you are passionate about. Lord God, that you would strip us of complacency, of apathy, and give us hearts that bleed for what your heart bleeds for. Lord God, we ask, we pray, we plead that your kingdom would come in Lincoln as it is in heaven, in Ferguson as it is in heaven, and beyond to the ends of the earth. And Lord God, I ask that you would give us the courage to not only see where injustice exists, but to step in, no matter the cost. Lord God, to sacrifice what has been entrusted to us, the things that you have placed into our care to be used for your kingdom purposes in this world. Show us as a church, Lord God, as we move forward, what it means to be your hands and your feet in this city. God, we come before you now.